welcome to the Nerd Party. Hello, hello. Welcome back to The Rec Paperback. I'm one of your hosts, Charles Sheeland. And I'm the other host, Asia Bonilla. We're back again, but this week we're starting something new. We're diving into a new unit of sad realistic fiction because we finished the Chronicles of Narnia last week. This week we read what is probably John Green's other most famous book besides The Fault in Our Stars, which we already covered, Looking for Alaska. And this feels like a good time to mention that there is an explicit sex scene in this book, as well as quite... A frequent discussion of sex. So just make sure that, you know, this is age appropriate for you if you read along or you're just listening to this episode. Thanks for that disclaimer. Thankfully, in this book, it's not violent or anything like that. It's completely consensual. It's not, you know, it's obviously a big motif in the book, but it's not, the book is not like just a bunch of sex all the time. But it is definitely good to let our listeners know. And speaking of our listeners, for you, if anyone here is new to our podcast, we're a podcast with the Nerd Party Network, and we're best friends, and we read and reread YA books from our adolescence and share them with each other. We alternate generally between series that one of us has read and the other one hasn't, and this time we're doing a mini unit of four sad boy vibes, that's what I'm calling them. Obviously it's boy B-O-I, not B-O-Y, sad boy vibes, that Asia has read and I have not, and it's going to be depressing as I'll get out. So yes, these are already very different than the Chronicles of Narnia, and like I said, this week we read John Green's Looking for Alaska, and because Charles is a newcomer to this book, he gets to summarize it, but before we get into that, I'm going to go ahead and give us a little intro to the book, and I'm going to mainly just focus on the book because we did already cover The Fault in Our Stars by John Green, so if you want to hear more about him as an author, you can check out that episode. But for Looking for Alaska, this was his debut novel, and it was published in March 2005. And the story was actually based on his experience at Indian Spring School, a boarding school outside of Birmingham, Alabama. And during a book talk at Rivermont Collegiate on October 19th, 2006, he shared that things like Takumi's fox hat and the possessed swan of Culver Creek and some of the crank some of the pranks that they pulled off at the school were all inspired by actual events that happened in his life. Even though it was set, the setting was based on his life, the novel is completely fictional. All of the characters are made up. And another quick little thing is that as a child, John Green was actually fascinated with last words, which is why he gave that trait to our main character, as we'll learn very soon, Miles. He loves to learn famous people's last words. And for Looking for Alaska, despite it making it on the New York Times bestseller list for children's paperback in 2012 and receiving multiple awards, the book is shrouded in lots of controversy due to that explicit sex scene that I mentioned before. And based on data collected by the American Library Association's Office for Intellectual Freedom, a mouthful, the book was the fourth most banned, challenged, and or removed book in the United States between 2010 and 2019. 
coming in right behind 13 Reasons Why by Jay Asher and somehow four spots ahead of 50 Shades of Grey by E.L. James, which I just thought was hilarious because I'm sure everyone out there knows what 50 Shades of Grey is and that's basically pornography in a book and the fact that this somehow, this one small tiny little sex scene made this book worse, quote unquote worse than that one just to me is just crazy. But in response to this controversy, and specifically after teachers at Depew High School near Buffalo, New York, wanted to teach Looking for Alaska as part of their curriculum, but received backlash from a lot of parents, John Green defended his book on his YouTube channel called Vlog Brothers in a video entitled I Am Not a Pornographer, which he posted on January 30th, 2008. And in it, he explains that the inclusion of the oral sex scene in the book stating that the whole reason that the scene in question exists in Looking for Alaska is because I wanted to draw a contrast between that scene when there is a lot of physical intimacy but is ultimately very emotionally empty and the scene that immediately follows it when there is not a serious physical interaction but there's this intense emotional connection. And so he just feels that a lot of people have misunderstood the book and, you know, just take it down to this one sex scene that actually is really not that important in the book in the sense of it actually has a much bigger like literary symbolism that he uses and he also just completely disagrees with the idea that parents think like they are underestimating the intelligence of teenagers and that they can't see that they can't see the literary significance of what he was trying to do with it and then finally in this long intro is their For the film adaptation of the book, it was actually repeatedly delayed by Paramount Pictures. Paramount Pictures had bought the rights to the book, but it never got made, so Hulu ended up purchasing it, and they adapted it into an eight-episode limited series that premiered on October 18th, 2019, and I've never seen it, but it did receive praise from both critics and readers of the book, so apparently it's pretty good, and hopefully Charles and I will check it out soon after having read the book. But with that, that's pretty much a pretty in-depth introduction to the book, and Charles is going to go ahead and give us a summary now of the plot. Yeah, wow, I didn't want to talk about the controversy, because that really, really annoys me, but whatever. So, our protagonist, Miles, he goes to a boarding school where he meets a group of friends, including Chip, who goes by the Colonel, Takumi, and Alaska. Alaska is a super hot and provocative young woman and Miles develops a total crush on her while he and his friends also go on sort of corrupting adventures and exploits and prank other students. One day Alaska actually drives off campus while drunk and then is hit by a car and dies and the boys spend the rest of the school year trying to figure out if she committed suicide or actually just died in an accident. Meanwhile, they're dealing with the loss of their friend, as well as all sorts of other classic teen social dynamics. For example, exploring sexuality and physical intimacy, which is definitely something that we should intellectually speak about with teenagers, so that they are smart and informed and protected when they go out into the world. Sorry, that's just me getting on my soapbox. (laughs) Anyway, so for my impression, I really enjoyed the book. I didn't think it was particularly profound. I did think it was a little, like... It's... It's... I enjoyed it. It, 
I wrote self-flagellatory in my notes, but I think that's too aggressive. Uh, I do feel like you can definitely tell, like, the whole Miles being obsessed with last words. It kind of feels like one of those things that, like, John Green really, he has this hobby for it, like you said, and he put it into his character. And that felt a little dramatic to me, but I guess, whatever. I really enjoy the characters. I like the world, the school he's created, and I like the plot. I think it's realistic, and it was a total page-turner. Like, I read the whole thing in two days. And I, yeah, I just enjoyed it the whole time, and that's kind of how I felt. Well, my first impression was that I honestly didn't remember most of the plot. I mean, I think I read this at some point in middle school, and... (laughs) Honestly, the main thing I remember about this book is I remember in middle school people be like whispering in the halls about how there was a book in the library that like has an oral sex scene and like that's why everybody wanted to read it. So like that, I knew that that wasn't like a huge part of the story or anything, but that's ultimately what I remember. And then I I knew like something was, I knew it was about the girl Alaska and I didn't remember exactly what happened to her. I thought maybe she ran away, but I think I'm getting that confused with another one of his books. I think Paper Towns might have something to do with like runaways, even though I never read that. But so I think I was just getting confused, but I knew obviously something happened to her. And like I said, I did read this, this point, like over a decade ago. But yeah, for me, I was just like, I didn't remember most of it. I don't think we're ever going to talk about the sex scene later in the book, but we don't have to dance around it. At one point, one character gives the main character Miles a blowjob. And it's it was so minor to the plot of the book. I mean, yeah, it is super minor. I just was like, I like I remember, I mean, just like I just talked about in the intro, like this book, I'm telling you, if you talk to people from my middle school, like what would they know about it? They'd be like, oh, it has a blowjob scene. Like that is what, I mean... I mean, it's I remember like, that when I, I I went to middle school too. Oh, so you did? You, I didn't. I thought you didn't know anything about this book. Oh no, I knew that there was a. a See, sex so scene. You, I'm telling you, middle schoolers, that's like, oh my gosh, like it's dirty. I mean, they're letting then us you read, read the this? book. Well, I'm saying, then you read the book and you're like, oh, that's it. But I've definitely read books with more explicit and more important sex scenes. Oh, yeah, for sure. I just remember, but, like, I'm talking, like, 12 years old. Like, one of your, possibly one of your first real introductions to, like, sex, especially in literature. Like, I just remember, like, so that's why, like, I mean, as I said, it's very much shrouded in controversy. It's been banned in a lot of places, and apparently it's worse than Fifty Shades of Grey, at least between the years of 2010 and 2019. So. Meanwhile, I started reading Fifty Shades of Grey after we read Twilight on this podcast. You read Fifty Shades of Grey? No, I tried. I got four chapters in, and I was like, this is so badly written. Well, it was fan fiction, so. It was fan fiction, but, like, I literally hated everything about it that I couldn't keep reading. Because I wanted to, like, have finally read it, because, you know, we've all been talking about it forever. And I was like, I'll finally read it. Now that I've read Twilight, I don't feel like I'm betraying Twilight. And I was like, I cannot... I mean, this woman is. I like guess I can kind of understand because Fifty Shades of Grey is obviously about adults. Like it's supposed to be an adult story, whereas this is about kids. And I'm not saying like in just reference to that one sex scene more. So like the drugs and the language, I could see how like that is what like would put it on like 
for people who, you know, are like, burn books, how it would be. I don't know. I'm just like, I, I mean, yeah, I just fundamentally don't agree with those people. I know you don't either. I'm not saying that no, you do. Yeah. I don't, I don't, but like, to me, I'm like, wow. Also, as we all know, the num as Hermione Granger tells us, the number one way you can get everyone to read something is to ban it. Like, if you don't want them to read it, don't tell them they can't read it. Middle schoolers aren't going to read books for fun. Oh, yeah, and like, even though it was well, banned, like, us. a lot of schools used it in their curriculum, like, as part of their English classes, which I thought was really cool. Anyway, I just wanted to address the sex scene because it is, I literally don't know if I'll mention it again because it was so minor. So, diving into the plot. Miles is our main character. He's a loner at home in Florida, and so he goes off to boarding school. I think it's in Alabama, right? It's in Alabama, yes. I got it right. Amazing. And I wrote, because I did not, again, clearly I didn't remember that well. I did not realize this took place at boarding school. I didn't, that's like the main plot point, or the main setting. I didn't even remember that. So I was like, who would want to go to boarding school by choice? And I was like, maybe if it was Zoe 101... I don't know if you ever watched that show, Charles. That boarding school was fierce. Oh, you did? You did. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I wanted to go to boarding school. Like, if you didn't like your school in high school. I feel like you have to not like like your school and, like, not have any friends and, like, not like your family. Like, more so the idea of, like, leaving your family behind so young. I mean, for me, that wasn't a... I mean, I love my family, but for me, it was a... (laughs) Disclaimer. The, I love my I family. thought about yeah, I know. I think because I'd because I had older siblings who left for college already and when I was like looking at high schools and also because I was gonna go into a very specific profession, my family and I looked at me going into a boarding school for the arts, but I mean my parents weren't excited about the idea of me leaving before college but they were not necessarily like they knew I would be okay and that I would be doing it for a specific reason but we ultimately decided against it but I also like when I was being bullied in middle school like really severely yeah that makes sense you I wanted to go to boarding school escape (laughs) I guess that that was not my experience I was I was a happy child in middle school and high school. I was not popular, but I had really good friends. Friends I'm still friends with now. But, yeah, so I didn't, I never really had that feeling of, like, I wanted to escape or, as Miles puts it, to look for the great perhaps or whatever he says. Yeah. Well, he goes to the new school. He starts to bond with his roommate, the colonel, and the colonel's best friend, Alaska. She has cigarettes and alcohol, so Miles get it, is getting into all these vices. Alcohol, drugs, kissing. And needless to say, none of those are allowed at the school. And before we go any further, each chapter starts with a number of days before, and it keeps decreasing as you get to the get through the book. And at this point, you know, we're only a few chapters in, I was wondering if Charles, you had any theories at that point of what it was, like, counting down towards? It wasn't really a theory, but my guess was sex. (laughs) I just, well, (laughs) one, I knew that it was going to happen in the book. And two, because very early on, they're always talking about sex. They're always talking about it. And, like, the first thing, in his first conversation with her, Alaska's like, I'll get you a girlfriend. You be my friend, I'll get you a girlfriend. Like, I'll get you laid. Like, so I just assumed it was counting down to losing his virginity. 
Well, it ended up being darker than that. <laughs> it does end up being darker than that. I I do I will say like the fact that he's counting backwards does tell you that Miles is telling the story later, which I guess intellectually is interesting. Like if I was teaching that in an English class, that would like how does that change your perspective knowing that the story is being retold rather than being told in present tense? And you know, what it ends up being is that it turns out that it's actually the day Alaska dies. Well, also on the, like, the day before, whatever it is, that's when he kisses her. And I was like, oh, my God, it was building to their first kiss. And then the, the end of that chapter ended super ominously. I was like, no, 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 it's whatever's about to come. And then she dies in the assembly, and I was like, that's what it was for. I mean, the kiss coincides, but I was like, it's not about the kiss. Wow. But, yeah, I, at this point, I just thought it was about sex <laughs> because they're literally never stopped talking about it. Yeah, I just, because, like I said, I for some reason, thought, like, she got kidnapped or, like, ran away. I thought she went missing, and they eventually, like, discovered she was dead. That's why they're looking for her? Well, that's what I'm saying. I definitely, I think I got it confused. I have to look it up. Because another John Green book is Paper Towns, and I never read it, but I remember, like, looking. I think that one is about, like, missing people. Uh, missing yeah. people. Like I'm saying, I looked that up at some point for whatever reason. I looked up the plot, and so I think with that, I was kind of misremembering, like, putting that onto this plot. So, that's why I didn't necessarily remember off the top of my head that she just died. Like, she was just dead. I thought maybe she was missing for a while, and then they found out she was dead. And that's why I thought maybe it was counting down to her disappearance. But no, it was it was her death. Like, it was one and done. She's gone. So, as Charles said, though, they are very much in high school with all of the talking about sex and stuff. But, since they're in high school, I did want to rant a little bit because one of their teachers... Dr. Hyde was being a total jerk and Alaska calls him out for it and I completely agree with her because he kicks Miles out of class for looking out the window and Miles is looking out the window this is in their like multiple religions class or whatever and he was talking about some like Buddhist thing of like how everything's connected or something and Miles like looking out the window literally thinking about what Dr. Hyde's talking about and he kicks out of class for looking out of the window. And I'm like, you can't look out the window, like, during a lecture. Like, you can't glance out the window. And so, yeah, I was just, like, in the moment, I was thinking, like, wow, I really don't miss high school and, like, teachers on power trips, like, trying to control your every move. And it's like, you're literally not doing anything wrong. Oh, yeah. I also really don't like that in college either. When professors would do that. Like, I also, I personally never find that it works. Like, the teachers, again, I was a perfect angel, but the teachers I showed the most respect to and, like, paid the most attention in class were generally, like, the kindest and most chill and least dramatic. Like, they set rules, but because they are so polite and they treat you like an adult, you have more of an expectation, of, or at least I find, that I held myself to a higher standard of not wanting to disappoint them because they give you more credit, Right. Well, yeah, it's like the level of mutual respect is there, so you want to meet their expectations if they're, you know, trusting you. But, like, if you put, a t- if, you te- if you treat a high schooler like a child, that's someone you need to discipline, they're not going to respond well to that. Yeah. They're going to act like a child. Be- no, yeah. Exactly. Also, I did look it up. Paper Towns is, in fact, about a girl going missing, but, like, leaving notes, I think. 
So they like yes. Okay, so that's why I said like I got I just got confused. That's why I was saying of like I was like, isn't there some John Green book where like a girl who's missing? Yes, but so I'm not crazy. But anyway, back to this story. Another big part of their high school experience is pranking. Okay. I never got to do stuff like this, but I always really wanted to. Like, did you have pranks? At, like, did you have official pranks at your school? Also, like, obviously a lot of their pranks are, like, very, like, private, like, boarding school specific, like, residential housing specific. But, like, did you have, like, like a junior or senior prank at your high school? So, I don't really think... We didn't really have pranks at my school. I know there was, like, senior ditch day and stuff, but... There was never any, like, pranks, but I do remember, I think, my senior year, another one of the schools in our district did, like, a big prank, and it was, they did, like, bring your pet to school day, and people showed up with dogs, cats. I remember there was, like, a bunch of people on, like, Snapchat and Instagram, and, like, people brought, like, their fish, like, in a tank, like, in a wagon. Like, it was crazy. Like, honestly, I wish that would have been my school, because it was honestly iconic, but... That was, like, the closest I feel like there was a prank, and that wasn't even at my school. It was another school in I the district. I think it's also, it's generally more of a private school thing. Like, I went to a big public high school in Virginia that, like, there may have been, yeah. like, a senior ditch day, but, like, you also, like, because of the size of the schools. Well, it's hard to organize hard. something like that. It's hard to organize something like that. You don't know everyone in your class, and also, like, the mass. Like, I truly, I graduated with, what, 900 people? I probably knew, like, 15. And yeah, I don't even know all the teachers people, people had. Whereas, like, class. everyone knew, like, when I went to a private school, there was always a senior prank day, and it was senior ditch day. So the stu- this like, the students would be gone, but they would have come the night before and pranked. And sometimes they were, like, good. Sometimes they were really bad. But my older brother's year was really good. When he was a senior, I don't know how much, again, this, I don't know if this was just, like, what he did. Because, again, they pranked the whole high school. But they um, put alarm clocks in the ceilings to schedule to go off at different times during the day. Because, you know, that's, like, that's we had, like, those industrial ceiling panels that you can, like, push yeah. up. And my English teacher hated my older brother when he had him. He hated me when he had me. And I was literally in his classroom when one of the alarm clocks went off, and I knew he was going to be so mad at me because I, he knew it was my brother's class that was graduating, and it was literally during my English class. I was cursed. But the best thing they did that was really clever was that our lockers were floor-to-ceiling lockers. I'm showing this visually, but obviously it's a podcast. You can't tell. But they were floor-to-ceiling lockers, and they came in, like, pods of three, or, like, pods of two. And the seniors pulled the lockers off the wall and rearranged them throughout the hall but it then pushed them back in so it looked like no lockers had moved. Wait, you could physically pull your lockers out of the wall? Yeah, they weren't mounted. They were leaning up against the wall because they were floor to ceiling. Okay, that sounds kind of sketchy, like not safe. No, it was very safe but... The fact that students could just pull lockers out, that means you can't just shove someone in a locker. You could shove them in a locker and like throw them down a mountain. But... Again, like, moving the lockers is difficult. And also, no one was shoving people in lockers at this fancy private school. Well, obviously not fancy enough to have mounted lockers. <laughs> but it was such a good prank because then literally all day people... This... Well, they didn't know where their locker was because all the lockers looked the same. The lockers don't have... 
uh, numbers on them? I mean, yes. Once we figured out what they'd done, we looked for our numbers. Okay. But, like, you would go to the that, other end of the, the hall. The alarm one was better. Anyway, I really want to have a senior prank. It sounds like way too much. That sounds like, because you said it was difficult to move, that sounds like way too much work with not enough payoff. Because I feel like it would have taken a couple minutes to be like, oh, well, there's numbers. Let's just look for our number. Well, some, there were some other ones. Like, when my sister was a senior, like, they also, like, pranked the teachers individually. Like, one teacher, they put a blow-up sex doll in his classroom. <laughs> and he was a terrible teacher, so he deserved it. But, oh, my God. Uh, again, you could not do that at public school. Like, the teacher would be fired. But uh-huh. one teacher who was an English teacher, they built... So, they, you know how, you, like, you open a door to a classroom... They had inside the door of his classroom built a wall of all of the books he assigned because they had, like, hundreds of copies for the students to take. So literally, like, he opened the door to his classroom and there was a giant wall of his curriculum. Like, he had to move the freaking books. I just think the alarm clock was the funniest one. It was It was very clever. I did tell the my brother I was very proud the of The lowest ranked, for sure. Well, anyway... This is the kind of stuff that I missed out on because I didn't graduate from a fancy private school. Or in this case, as they basically, the pre- the pro- the prank that they first orchestrate is they set off fireworks around campus. And then they send fake documents to students' families telling that their students are, are failing classes, which is an excellent prank. But also, when Alaska sends it to more people... And the colonel's like, girl, why'd you do that? Because now those people are not on the suspicion list anymore. And I was like, you know, you're not wrong. Yes, and after this happens, they get caught? What do they get caught for? I don't know, because I don't think they got caught during. But I think they just got called in for questioning. Yeah, they get called in for questioning, I guess. And during this, I was wondering why... Alaska and the colonel make sure that Miles and Takumi don't get in trouble. But right after that, they explain it. And basically, Takumi tells Miles that they did it to prove their loyalty, you know, because they have this whole thing of, like, we don't rat on each other. And so they were like, we'll get in trouble for this one so that, you know, like, you'll take the fall for the next thing. And Alaska's feeling like she has to do this because she sold out her roommate the year before to get out of punishment. And this is probably the least realistic part of the whole book to me. Because I do understand that, like, students might be encouraged by staff to rat on their friends. But in no school would punishment, like, because I think Alaska was, like, drinking or something like that. Like, and she gets caught and she reports her roommate who's having sex and drinking, blah, blah, blah. And her roommate and her boyfriend get expelled. But Alaska, like, gets off scot-free. And I'm like, that would not actually ever happen in a school because if you're committing, like, it's one thing to break rules. Maybe they're like, you know, we're going to use our snitch network to, like, crack down on rules. But, like, illegal activities, you can't get out of those just by, like, giving dirt on other people. Um, I wouldn't put it past a private school, especially when was it supposed to take place in? The 90s? The 80s? I think it takes place in the 90s, yeah. The 90s. I definitely wouldn't put it past it. Also, like you said, it's a private school. They're kind of going by their own rules. And who are we kidding? I went to a public high school and class president and salutatorian got caught with alcohol and Xanax on prom night. And they still got to walk at graduation and give their speeches. So. Exactly. So I would not put it past, oh, it's illegal. 
people, depending on who you are, you get one well, thing slide. all the institutions I work at now, when people commit, do illegal things, they, they get well, in trouble. it's different when you're a place where you work and you're employed, but when you're a child at a school, you're more likely to get second chances. Well, whatever. But... So, my next note goes back to Miles with his crush on Alaska. And there's this quote that he thinks, and he says, thinking that if people were rain, I was drizzle and she was a hurricane. Which, I, when I read this, I mean, first of all, I was reading on a Kindle, so it's like all underlined and highlighted. It's like a, a, a great passage or something, like an often highlighted passage in the book. This this line has a 1,200 highlights, yeah. And this is definitely one, probably one of, if not the most iconic quote, I would say, from the book. Like, I read this and I was like, oh my gosh, like, I distinctly remember reading this, like, as a child. Is this when you felt infinite? <laughs> And I, like, just, I was like, wow, like, that's such an iconic quote. I feel like that. And then right after this, Miles has, like, a whole paragraph how he explains how in this moment, like, all he wanted to do was just sleep with Alaska, like, physically sleep with her, like, basically cuddle, like, not actually have sex or anything, like, and I think it, you know, it was pointing towards, you know, how he, I don't know if he's, like, really falling in love with her because, like, he really doesn't know this girl that well. But in the sense of, like, he's falling in love with the idea of her and, like, he's becoming infatuated with her more than, like, just for her body and, like, wanting her in a sexual way. But, like, he wants to, he wants to get to know her. He wants to be able to fall in love with her as a person, which is I totally agree. I think that, yeah. He does, I mean, I do think he's physically interested in her too, but you're absolutely right that he's... He's intellectually infatuated with her He's as well. going past just the sexual attraction. Now it's also an intellectual attraction. It's, like, surpassed it. And, you know, for, like, a 16-year-old boy, that's pretty, like, profound. <laughs> that You know, you can be interested in a girl for more than her body. And... <laughs> Take note. Take note, listeners. <laughs> yeah. No, I take your point. And they kind of carry on this way where, like, Miles is, like, kind of pining for Alaska. And Alaska's but they're also, like, like, hanging out as best friends, too. They're hanging like, out as best not- friends. Like, they're definitely growing closer. And, like, Alaska is, like, definitely, like, kind of teasing him in the sense of, like, you're so cute. But, like, I love my boyfriend because also, we have mentioned before, Alaska has an older boyfriend who I think is in college. Yeah. It sounds He's like in it. college, and he lives, like, I don't know, another part of Alabama. And so he, they do long distance. And Miles actually meets Jake, her boyfriend, and, like, she's so in love with him, blah, blah, blah. So that's why she can't be with Miles. But the night before the, the day of, before she dies, Miles, the colonel, and Alaska are playing Truth or Dare, and... Alaska dares Miles to hook up with her, so they kiss, like full-on makeout session, in front of the colonel. Yeah, I mean, I th- honestly, I'm gonna say, yeah, yeah, okay, that was great. Like they had this emotional connection, but the whole time I was thinking, oh my god, they're like totally making out in front of like another person. <laughs> Why is this not weird? Like I don't know. Did people do this when they were like teenagers? Like I know there was like. Uh, spin the bottle and like this. Yeah, I want to add. Okay. Okay. I have something to say about this. So, one, whenever I played Truth or Dare or Spin the Bottle, it never was a full on makeout session. Like, if the. I'm sure assignment, it was like a peck or something. It was a peck. 
it was never longer than three seconds. It definitely wasn't like leading in, going back and forth, like talking during and going back in for another round. And okay. I mean, maybe would it be less weird if there was like more people, but like the fact that it was just him, but also I'm just like, even if there are more people, like not even audience and like, how can you use the people who are like watching, like not feel like perverts? Like, I don't know. I just, that whole idea is like, is that why they created, what is it, like, Seven Minutes in Heaven? Like, you go in the closet so nobody has to watch you? Like... Oh, I always found Seven Minutes in Heaven even worse. Because you're like, now we're like, there's this unknown thing. I mean, probably no one is, you know, getting up to more than kissing. But I'm like... Well, but then it's like, you get, I don't know, you get privacy. Like, I don't know. To me, but yes, that, while this was happening, honestly, I was mainly thinking about how is the girl just sitting there... I know. In silence, drunk. Watching this happen and not saying anything. With his two best friends. Like, his two best friends, whom he's told, do not interact with each other. It's going to cause drama. And he's just sitting there and no reaction. So weird. Also, okay. Also, what I want to mention is Alaska sets Miles up with his girlfriend, Laura, who performed the infamous oral sex scene on him. Like, does this count as cheating? Like... I think that kissing someone... Oh, of course, but in the moment, they're not thinking about that. But, like, okay, in your personal understanding, kissing someone during Truth or Dare would still be considered cheating, right? Yes. Okay, thanks. That's what I thought, but I'm like, literally no one at any point thinks about it during this book, so I was like... Well, I mean, who's sitting there? It's Miles and Alaska who are clearly, like, just thinking about themselves. Well, so she's about to die, so she's not going to be able to talk about it. And the colonel is just drunk, sitting there, like, not even paying attention. Oh, so he's not going to talk about it because he doesn't want drama, so. Yeah. Well, anyway, then Alaska takes a call, panics, she has to leave, and the next day it's revealed that she died in a car accident, which obviously hits the boys, like, a ton of bricks. Which, so, she gets the call and she panics and, like, Her and the colonel had been drinking a lot. Like, they were very drunk. Miles was not drinking. And when she says she has to leave, she wants to drive, neither of them try to stop her. And so, yes. Yes, they could have tried to stop her from leaving. But ultimately, they had no way of knowing what was going to happen to her or if she even would have listened to them if they would have tried to stop her. So they shouldn't blame themselves for her death. And if they do... They have to learn to forgive themselves. This is, like, what I wrote pretty much, like, right after, like, we find out she's dead and their immediate, like, responses and how, like, they're angry at themselves and they feel extremely guilty. And I also just, I don't know, to me, especially reading this as an adult, I don't really remember how I felt as a child. I might have felt the same way, but, like, Alaska is, like, a selfish character and that doesn't take away from her death, but they shouldn't blame themselves for her, like, choices, but I'll get more into that in a second. Yeah, I agree. I totally, yeah, I think that, one, yes, of course, they should not have let her drive while she was drinking, but they've been doing all sorts of reckless stuff for a while, and, yeah, they can't even be sure that, like, Alaska will listen to them, and... She wasn't seeing reason in that moment anyway. And they're in this, again, not saying that, like, it's the circumstances' fault, because I do think that if anything, if it's anyone's fault, it's probably Alaska's. But, like, 
as most colleges campuses in the United States will have, there's an amnesty program generally of like if you're in a situation that's like probably illegal, but you've been culti- you've been warned that like if you're in a situation that's dangerous, the illegal action is going to be forgiven in effort to keep safety. This is not the vibe that they've gotten at this institution. Where like if they were worried about her that like they could have restrained her and like they couldn't have gone to the the eagle or whoever the principal is and be like she wants to drive and she's drunk cuz if they'd said and like if they said that as drunk people she would have been, been expelled and again that's just an example of like my point being me agreeing with your point that like they don't have that they don't have that uh, that grace of like looking at the picture from a, looking at the situation from a big picture. They, and... Sh- well, also, like, hindsight is twenty twenty. like, they didn't know she was going to get in the car and die. I mean, she's had episodes like this before where she freaks out and she drinks a lot and she couldn't have been that drunk if she was that, like, emotional and was able to, like, tell them she wanted to leave. Like, you Absolutely. know what I mean? There's so many different things that are crossing your mind. Yeah. But... I think... For, a little... For me, I just... And so now they're going to be on this mission to figure out whether she killed herself or not because she was drunk, but her car didn't swerve and she was like in sort of a hysterical mood. And like, so they're basically going to be trying to piece together her last hour. And personally, I, the whole time they're trying to figure this out, I'm, again, this is where I, hindsight is twenty twenty, and I'm reading this as a reader, but I'm like, I don't think getting that answer will make them feel better because she... Like, if they find out that she killed herself, then they'll blame themselves that, like, they weren't good enough friends to make her feel like she couldn't take her life. And if she didn't kill herself, then they'll feel badly for not having, like, stopped her from making a mistake, you know? Like, to me, I'm like, I mean, of course, I understand why you would want to know that. Like, I understand the the visceral human response of, like, I want to understand. But yeah, me, me as an adult, me as a reader, like, I can be, you know, on the outside and be like, well, I don't really think that it's going to get them any resolution. Yeah, and I think also especially it's pretty clear that they're probably not going to be able to get a straight answer anyway because they don't really have that much to go off to begin with. But shortly after they are notified of her death, Miles thinks this, quote, Anger just distracts from the all-encompassing sadness, the frank knowledge that you killed her and robbed her of a future and a life. Which he's speaking about himself and saying, you know, he feels that, you know, him and the colonel killed her and that they robbed her of the future, which I, I read this and I just wanted to emphasize how wrong he is here because, no, like I said, they are not responsible for Alaska's decisions. Whether she was committing suicide or she just chose to drive drunk and emotionally distraught like unless they were physically going to hold her down from like not going they like said they don't know if she would listen to them if they tried to stop her and like charles even mentioned like it's not really like they had a safe way of like going to get an adult without you know facing consequences so that wasn't really an option that they had in that moment and so of course her death is devastating but if you have to blame someone for it it's her fault like she made the decisions that led to it and she made a poor decision like she shouldn't have gotten to a car 
while she was intoxicated to drive and she faced the consequences for that and this was something actually that like reminded me of when I was in high school again there was at least one incident at of kids from my school and there was a really big incident from another school in my district where kids went to a local amusement park for like Halloween and they were all underage none of them had a license the person who was driving did not have a driver's license they were all intoxicated their car flew off of the highway like flew off they all died passed away burned up and these kids were like 14 to 15 years old and it was a tragedy But they all made those decisions and they weren't thinking about the consequences to their actions, which is why I think it's so important and why I think like even though this book has controversy, like it is like really like it teaches kids and helps to like get that idea forward that, you know, you're not invincible. I feel like that's something teenagers think like you're invincible. You can do drugs, you can do whatever and like never face the consequences because you never think it's going to be you that something happens to. But like this was a perfect example of Alaska thought that way and she died like she's dead and so yes I can understand why Miles and the Colonel feel guilty as a part of their grief but they did not make the decision that Alaska got in the car like and was under the influence like they didn't make that decision so it can't be their fault yeah I I think that's valid I take I agree generally like she makes the choice for herself and not to yeah I don't want anyone to think that we're, like, cold or that we're not devastated by it. Because, of course, it's devastating. But also, yeah, she was... And there are any number of reasons that, like, get you to that root problem, which which is awful. But... And the other reason that it's so... I think another reason that it's important to realize that, like, they cannot hold themselves responsible is that they can't give up on their lives and stop living their lives in an effort to, like, absolve her responsibility, which is kind of what happens to them for a while. Like, they basically cut Takumi and Laura off, and Takumi actually calls him out on it, which I think is awesome. I really like... It was probably one of my favorite scenes when he's like, you guys can't, like, keep excluding us. Monopolize. Like... Yeah, I think he says, like, you can't monopolize, like, your grief over her. We were were all all friends. friends. We all loved her. And, like, them being sort of self-righteous in their, like, guilt and shame is actually separating them from their current lives, which is, you know, not good. Yes, and especially if it was suicide, in which case then, yes, of course they'll be impacted by her loss, but she definitely wouldn't want them to stop living if she felt that she needed to take herself out (laughs) that's a terrible way to say it if she felt that if she felt that she needed to take her life and she was that like i don't think that that meant that like she had any hatred towards them even though in my personal opinion i don't necessarily think it was suicide i definitely don't think it was like a planned thing it could have been a split split moment decision for her because she's soon to be in like a very dark place i mean but also, I mean, she was also really drunk. Like, they said her her blood alcohol level was, like, a .24. Something crazy high. Which is, like, something crazy high. Like, the fact that she even got in a car, like, with that level is, like... So, like, that's why, they're like, she could have fell asleep at the wheel. But they're, like... But she kept driving straight. So, we... Again, 
that was the whole idea. You won't know, but I definitely got the idea, though, that Alaska, like, was a very impulsive character, so it's not completely off the table that she could have made an impulsive decision to end her life. Yeah. And also, the reason why they kind of think the suicide is because they read some of her papers and notes in, like, a notebook or something, and something that, like, one of her her favorite books, because she was, like, a huge reader, she had, like, stacks of books in her room, her favorite book was, like, about this labyrinth of suffering, and she wrote in one of her notebooks that the way out of the labyrinth of suffering is straight and fast, which obviously, like, makes you think of, like, suicide, like, very quick, and... Which, again, if it was suicide, then yes, it was her fault. It was her decision. And we do eventually find out near the end that why she freaked out after the phone call was because she realized that she missed her mother's death anniversary, which it's revealed, like, midway through the book, basically, that Alaska's mother died of an of an aneurysm, like a brain aneurysm or something. Right? Yeah. And Alaska was, like, seven years old, and her mom collapsed, and she didn't do anything. Like, she froze, basically. She didn't call 911 or call for help. So her mom died. I mean, honestly, if she was having an aneurysm, like, even if she would have called 911, like, her mom probably would have died anyway, based on how it was described. But she didn't do anything, and so, like, she kind of almost made it seem like her father kind of, like, blamed her initially. I mean, she was a kid, and... When she told this story to everybody, it was, like, obviously heartbreaking. But again, a sense of, like, it was not her fault. She was a kid. And even if she knew, like, she froze. She's a child. Like, even adults freeze. Like, so. But because of that, she, like, always brings flowers to her mother's grave on her on the anniversary of her death. But she forgot. Probably, you know, because she was living her life and, like, being happy. And... So that's why she got really upset and, like, needed to leave in the middle of the night. Yeah, for the first time in her life, she's felt so fulfilled in her life that she's, not only say forgetting her mother, but moving on from her grief that she's not beholden to that. She's not held, yeah, she's not held back by it. And, yeah, and then she feels like she's failed her mother, which is, again, just untrue. Because, like we just said, if she, you know... The boys, when they when she's left, when their lives are basically turned off because of that, it's horrible. And it's her life has been really hard since her mother passed. And, like, now she actually has friends. She actually has, like, a true, like, you know, I don't say purpose in life, but, like, she has a... She's a life that she's enjoying living. And I'm not saying that she's ever going to forget her mother or that she needs to stop paying tribute to her mother. But, you know, she's drives off partially because she's captured by this like guilt and her grief and to your point about like whether or not it was suicide honestly there's no way to ever know that answer because she was so drunk like it's yeah to me personally so also I did look this up and John Green said that it's literally on his website that they're on the FAQs for this book is that he, the point is that we don't get the answer. The point is that we have to keep living and forgiving even without absolutes that we crave. This is not a direct quote. This is me summarizing. And so you can't, like, he's never revealed, as far as I could tell, what it is because the whole point is that you don't know. 
do you have to live on regardless? And to me, there's actually really no way of knowing that anyway, because if she was that intoxicated, she probably legally couldn't make decisions for herself. But at the same time, she was also the only person driving the car. Like, you, you're not going to get that resolution. You're not going to get that answer because it's impossible to nail down the motive of someone when they are intoxicated. And then that kind of takes us to the resolution. So in Miles's final paper, he says, we have to forgive each other to survive in the labyrinth. And this is obviously going back to like Alaska's question of how you get through the labyrinth. And I got chills when I read that. Perfectly frank. I was like, oh, we have to forgive each other. I mean, yeah, I definitely agree with Miles' idea that, you know, to survive this labyrinth of suffering, we have to for we have to forgive ourselves and they have to forgive Alaska for dying. And they have to know that Alaska forgives them just as for Alaska, she needs to know that her mother forgives her for not saving her, I guess. And yeah, I think that that is like a very clear point. Like, I think that that makes sense. And definitely makes sense with the ending of like no we don't really we'll never know what happened to Alaska like how of whether she was committing suicide or it really was an accident but what matters is that you can forgive yourself like in that situation yeah I think that that's actually kind of it do you have anything else you want to say I don't really think so I will say that for me how we talked about how it has had a lot of controversy. I do think this is a great book to be taught in schools. Like, I think it has a lot of great themes and discussions. I agree. 10 out of 10 agree. For, like, teenage issues. Even just the talking of, like, even, like, the talking of suicide and stuff of, like, she, Alaska was really troubled and, like, she felt like she couldn't, like, get any help. Like. She had no support. She had no support network. Yeah, she had no, no support system. It. Just in case, you know, this is something that, like, your friends are great. Friends are fantastic. Friends are not really necessarily a resource when you're going through crisis. They're not equipped for that. Especially when you're a child. Like, they're all minors. Like, you really need to speak to an adult. I mean, that's what they always say. Speak to a trusted adult if you're struggling. But, like, it's true. Because they're going to be able to... Also, because if you are really struggling, it's best for you to eventually actually talk to a professional, like, a licensed therapist and stuff who can actually help you, like, work through, like, coping mechanisms or... So. And also, you don't know what resources are available to you unless you inquire. And especially teenagers, minors are not going to know what's available to them. Like... And yeah, she's absolutely, and I think that's actually one of the reasons this would be such a great book that you, like you just said, this would be a great book to teach is because it's not like she committed suicide. Let's unpack this because it's never confirmed. I think you can enter that subject in a delicate way. Yeah, it's very gray. Unlike, for example, the book that you mentioned, 13 Reasons Why, it's all about her direct suicide and like, I've never read the book, so I can't attest I can't say whether or not I would teach it in a school setting but I think that this book is a more gentle introduction into a lot of topics that would be great to talk with high schoolers about definitely 
Well. So don't ban it from your books. Also, if you live somewhere that bans books, I'm so sorry, and we need to get you your books. Well, I think that's it for this book for Looking for Alaska. So next week, we'll be moving on to another single book, which will be The Lovely Bones by Alyssa Bold. So if you read along, you'll go ahead and read the whole book for next week. And then the following week, we'll be reading Elsewhere by Gabriel Zevin. So those will be for our next two episodes. And really quick, just throwing out another trigger warning about The Lovely Bones. That is going to be the probably darkest subject matter we've covered on throwback paperback so it's going to involve sexual violence just violence in general murder so if those are not going to be safe topics for you i highly recommend skipping next episode and not reading the book i agree but don't read the book and if that's totally okay we are totally okay with that we'll see you in the following episode for elsewhere but it's just going to be very dark and it's just not for everyone but I did want to cover it because it is something I read in high school, I believe. Yeah. And also, this is it's going to be, like, not, I don't know, for our younger listeners, that's something that you should ask your parents if it's okay to read. Because, again, as we mentioned last week, like, maybe this is something they want to talk to you about. But, like, please do not just go get the book because you listen to our show. This is definitely something for to discuss with an adult because it is, and especially if it's going to be specifically triggering for you, just don't listen to that episode. We'll love you more for taking care of yourself than for listening to us. Yep. And with that, as always, if you want to discuss this book further with us, you have predictions about what our next series is going to be, maybe. You know, you have questions, you want to talk to us, remember you can stay in touch with us directly on the Nerd Party website. You know the drill. You head over to nerdparty.com slash contact. You select throwback paperback. You click on our adorable little icon. That'll send us an email. You get in touch with the Nerd Party Network on Twitter at joinnerdparty or Instagram at the Nerd Party or facebook.com slash nerdparty. To find me, I'm on Instagram at seashells. You know how to spell it. C-S-C-H-E-L-S on Instagram. And I'm at asia.bunia on Instagram and TikTok. If you enjoyed this, make sure that you rate and review the podcast and share it with your friends. And of course, check out the other podcasts on the Nerd Print Network. And make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss us next week. But it's okay if you miss you next week because it's going to be sad and scary. So that's okay. We'll forgive you. It's going to be scary. I read, I read the book and it is so scary. I take breaks during it, and I never have to take breaks during a book. And I was like, I can't read all this in one sitting. It's scary. Anyway, hit that subscribe. Have a good one. We will see some of you next week. Join the revolution. Join the nerd party.